Hello and welcome to Automators, the automation podcast where we talk about how to make your technology do everything for you, at least as far as possible. I haven't quite yet figured out the laundry situation, but you know, I'm working on it. I'm Rosemary Orchard and I'm joined as always by David Sparks. Hey David, how are you? Great, Rosemary, and super happy to be talking to you again about automation. This is going to be a fun one today. We've got a bunch of feedback uh, covering a variety of automation topics, Uh, so... Let's dig in. Yeah, and it, it's great. We've got some feedback we've kind of grouped together because there are some similar topics. And then there's some other feedback that we we, we just put the, in that we would uh, love to address because there there's there's so many questions. I love it. And also, for anybody who hasn't tried it, Relay FM uh, has a lovely new feedback form where if you go to RelayFM, relay.fm slash automators, you can send us feedback and it just puts it into a, a big list where we can see everything. Um, and uh, it's, it's just really nice. Um, of course, you can also post in the forums and so on. We do keep an eye on that. Uh, but we are, uh, yeah, in, enjoying the fact that we have lots of feedback and some wonderful listeners who've got some really great questions for us. Yeah, but before we get to that, just want to clarify, we do have the Automators Max, which is the ad-free version of this show. Today, we also have additional content. We'll be talking about Rose's uh, experimentation with smart display screens. Um, so I guess we got that going for us too. But, but let's dig in. Uh, Chris wrote in about GTD process and inbox reminders. Love the show. I'm relatively new to automation with no coding or scripting experience. Okay, I'm going to insert here, Chris. That's totally fine. You can be an automator without having to be a coder. I'm looking for some place where I can learn scripting on iOS shortcuts. All right. And he says, the shortcut I'm currently looking to create is if I have any reminders in my iOS reminders inbox on a specific list, can I show a notification at a specific time to sort the inbox GTD style? Well, this is one of those things where there is no one solution for this because everybody has a solution uh, for their for whatever their system is. Um, And the the good news is, is uh, Chris has specified here nicely that he's using or they're using the iOS reminders app. Um, and so this is, you know, uh, nice because it's easy to hook into with a number of different things. And so I have, um, a, a suggestion, um, and there's two possible ways that you could, um, run this. Um, and both of them involve Pushcut, um, which full disclosure, I am one of the development team of, um, uh, but I'll explain why in a minute. So to start with, you could I build a shortcut that will just basically Check if there is anything in this inbox list in reminders. So that would just be find reminders where that's the the action. And then you set the list to the inbox list. And then you probably want to add a completed um, or is not completed into that as well. So that's what you're doing. You're finding your reminders where. And then you'd add a count action. So you found your reminders that are in the inbox that aren't completed, just in case there's anything that is completed in the inbox. Um, And then you add your count action. So you've got a count of those reminders. And then simply you can add an if and say if count is greater than zero. Okay, perfect. So we've now got we know that it's more than one um, or we know it's one or more then we need to send the notification. And this is where I would use Pushcut specifically to send the notification because that notification that it sends you can then actually do something that you want it to do. For example, if you want to open reminders to that list, it could run a shortcut and open reminders to that list. Um, Or it could open, uh, you know, when you tap it, it could run a shortcut that walks you through processing your inbox. Um, Or 
you know, something else if you wanted it to. Um, but the way that you would run your shortcut with you're finding the actions, you're counting the actions and the if and sending the notification is uh, either through a shortcut automation or through a shortcut run on a pushcut automation server. Um, and it's entirely up to you how you prefer to do it. The shortcuts automation has the advantage of it's on your device. Uh, you don't have to have a dedicated device running, you know, shortcuts in the background. The automation server has the advantage of it can, you know, go, oh, but today is a bank holiday. Um, and so um, we're actually going to not run this at a, our usual time. We'll run it at a different time and, and schedule it, you know, alternatively. Um, so, yeah, there's a, a couple of options there, but that's how I do it. I don't know if you've got any other advice you'd include there, David. Well, first, I want to point out the excellent use of the count term that Rose was talking about in her shortcut, because I think a lot of people getting new to shortcuts um, don't realize how useful that is. It's a really easy function to understand in shortcuts, and it gives you a way to set if statements. And it just, I just find it super useful for all types of uh, shortcut actions. And Rose is using it here uh, very brilliantly with respect to figuring out if there's anything in your inbox before it's telling you to check it. That said, I will tell you, Chris, I have several of these. Uh, I use OmniFocus for them, but uh, Reminders is a very good app, and I, I seriously considered switching to it earlier this year. And the way I do those things is is less fancy. Um, I just set a repeating task, and then you can set the repeating task to, to show up with an alert, and uh, I add the word consider to the beginning. So I'll just say, consider clearing inbox every day at 4 p.m. And if I know there's nothing in the inbox, I just check it as done because I considered it and I decided not to do it. If I know there's stuff in there, I'll go deal with it and I'll check it off as well. And there is the the repeat functions and a lot of the better task managers, including apps like Reminders and OmniFocus, have very powerful repeat functions. And this is a form of automation. Like one of the things I really like the way OmniFocus does is you can set it like on a week weekly basis, but you can select which day. So you can maybe just do it Monday through Friday, and then you have it um, uh, you have it reset upon completion. So if you complete it on Saturday, it'll show up for the next Monday, and you don't have to keep up with it every day. But whenever you check the box off, it catches itself up for you. You know, there's nothing worse than those repeat formulas where it'll give you like five of them because you didn't do it every day for five days. Um, uh, the OmniFocus method is a little cleaner than that. But mm -hmm. you can use these uh, kind of repeating functions in a task manager for a lot of uh, automation stuff. Right now it's spring. My little bonsai trees need uh, fertilizer every two weeks. I have a repeating function in a task manager to remind me to do that every two weeks. Uh, so this is stuff that isn't as um, fancy as Rose's automation and, and frankly not as cool. But you can put it together in two or three minutes or less, really. Once you understand it, you can put it together in seconds. And that's good enough for me for a lot of things like this. Yes. Yeah, I think that's one of those things where it, it really depends. You know, using a repeating task is very simple. Um, however, uh, I know personally, if I see the same reminder every single day, I'll basically become immune to it, um, especially when a chunk of the time there isn't necessarily anything there. 
Um, and I mean, one of the things I've done, which I'm, I'm just going to sort of share with everyone because I, I think it's quite useful, is I will say, um, you know, hey, Apple lady, add this to the shopping list or the grocery list. Um, and then um, things will add, end up added to those lists. And what then happens is I have a shortcut run periodically that just pulls those things out and dumps them into the right list in OmniFocus for me so that then I don't even have to um, actually deal with processing this stuff. It just gets pulled in and it will appear in the perspective that I use when I'm going around the supermarket to buy food, or it will appear automatically on the list for the store because it's weed killer. And so when it gets added to OmniFocus, um, I, I automatically tag it with the right store and add in the description which kind of weed killer it is that I need to buy so that I don't forget um, what it is. Um, and uh, that, that you know, that, that makes a big difference for me. So doing a little bit of the processing automatically can help. And then I don't have to actually worry so much about uh, doing so much processing because I've automated some of that away. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's one of the, the killer features of reminders is how good it works with, um, with that lady that you say, Hey, to, um, mm-hmm. and I, I actually don't even go that far with stuff like that. Cause those lists for me are shared with my, with my wife. So the grocery list, the home goods, you know, list, the hardware store, all that stuff just stays in reminders. And then whenever I find myself in one of those places, I, I just open it up and look and see what's there. But um, Mm -hmm. again, you know, all this stuff are various flavors of automation. And, you know, Chris is getting started on the journey. Uh, You should definitely dig in on shortcuts. I feel like that is a great place to start because uh, everything in there is kind of self-contained little actions. But as you start to learn the nooks and crannies of it, you can actually do quite powerful automation on it. Um, And there's a ton of useful resources out there. I mean, Rose wrote a book. I have a field guide. The, um, there's other people out there, Matt Casanelli, for example, teaching. And um, there's a lot of good resources out there to learn how to do this stuff. But uh, you don't really need to, to go crazy to start using automation in your life. In fact, that's kind of one of my rants on shortcuts is I understand that you can make very extensive shortcuts and super long ones. But I feel like for people getting started, you need to understand that you can also make one and two step shortcuts that are, those are equally automation and sometimes mm. they're, they're even better, right? They, they don't break, yeah. you know, they're, they just, they're not so fragile and, uh, they just work in, day in and day out. So don't be afraid of making little ones and don't feel like you're not an automator. If you make one action shortcuts, if it automates something, you're an automator. That's the whole point of the show, really, you know? Yeah, it, it really is. And this actually leads us into the the next piece of feedback that uh, we had, which was uh, a question that's come in um, anonymously um, for Ask the Automators. Uh, and we've been uh, given a little bit of background. So this person works across multiple locations with a number of different companies who don't talk to each other. Sounds like a recipe for disaster and the perfect situation for automation to me. Um, and this person has a frequent or a recurring work commitment every third Tuesday um, and ad hoc commitments at short notice. But they need to do regular manual checks to make sure they've told people that they need them to be available, that they're not busy at another site, they're not clashing with family, school and holidays. And they've missed stuff loads of times and would like to know how we'd approach this. And my first thought, honestly, with this was create a checklist um, in Reminders um, and have it repeat automatically for the Tuesdays. Um, and then make a template from it so that you can create, you know, create it for those ad hoc events. 
Like that was my first starting point. I don't know if you would uh, just start with that as well, David, or something even simpler than that. No, I think you're right on it. And that shortcut that you make, you could do a lot with it. Like you could make reminders lists, you could create calendar events, you could even automate that shortcut to send an email to everyone to let them know what's happening. And because- Well, yeah. Yeah. If if you go with a shortcut, you can. I was just going to start with just a simple reminders checklist that repeats because now there's templates and reminders. You can do that. Now, I would I would love to, you know, go through and and use a shortcut for more of it. But it depends on, you know, your workflow. Like, can you create the events using shortcuts? Like, are you in charge of creating these ad hoc events or do these ad hoc events kind of just get added to your calendar and you just have to deal with stuff? Because if it's you're creating them, a shortcut to create the event, create the checklist to check in and so on is great. But if you just kind of get told, hey, this is going to happen, you need to be here, I'd probably go with a shortcut that checks your calendar to see if something's there and adds like the the, the actual event into a list in DataJar so that you can exclude it from the list as you go through and repeat it. But it really depends on, on what end of things you're on for that. Yeah. And uh, shortcuts-based project planning is really meat and potatoes automation for me. I use it all the time. Maybe let me just kind of explain through one that I do for project-based kind of ad hoc stuff that I do to give you some ideas, and then Rose can can help me plus it up a bit. Um, but an example would be if I'm going to release something into the Max Sparky Labs, I have a shortcut called you know Labs Content, and when I open it up, and I'm going from memory here, I don't have it in front of me. I, I'm going to open it madly while we're talking, but while I open it up, it it prompts me for a few things, you know, what's the title of the content, but this has a calendar date related to it too. You know, what is the ideal day that you want to release it? And mm. the nice thing is uh, with shortcuts, it has excellent date support and the ability to create calendar events. So um, if this, um, if this correspondent had an ad hoc event show up, he could, or she could make a shortcut that, that prompts, well, what is the event and when is it? You know, when is the deadline or when is the meeting related to it? And you could just put that in. And the beauty is once you put that into a shortcut, then shortcuts can do things with it. Like, for instance, you could have it prepare an email to everyone. And not only could you tell them, you could embed the date and the time of the event, you could also work do math on that date and time. So you could say, Hey everybody, we just got noticed. We've got a big sales presentation on Friday, June 17. And I'd like to schedule a, um, a planning call with the whole team two days before on Friday, June 15th or Wednesday, June 15th. And what you do is in the shortcut, you can have it subtract, you know, days, weeks, hours, day, you know, so you just subtract two days from it. And then you can insert that in the text for that email that gets sent out via the shortcut. And then you can also create the event on the calendar for the preparation event, as well as a sales presentation. And you could create a note in an Apple shared note folder, or you could um, create like, in my case, I do it with craft. My team uses the craft application. We create a new page in craft for every new project and everybody can see it and it can fill it in. And it's just kind of shocking to me with something as simple as shortcuts, how far down the rabbit hole you can go on creating project setups. And I love doing this. I've got like all the major stuff in my life. I've got a shortcut I can run that does all the work for me. Yes. Yeah. Same for me. So I'm in the office approximately once every three weeks. 
it's usually on Thursdays. This coming week, um, so we're talking on the Monday, this week it's on Wednesday. Uh, last time we were in the office, it was on a Friday. So just a simple, like, repeat every three-week checklist of put this stuff in your bag, you know, put the laptop in the bag, put a charger for the laptop in the bag. Um, you know, basically, there's a packing list and then there's stuff to prepare, such as, um, you know, actually putting, like, water in my water bottle to put in my bag. Um, and, um, you know, a, a simple repeating checklist mostly works aside from the fact that it's not actually every three weeks that we're in the office. Um, and every so often, I need to bring something special with me. So what I do instead is I run through and I find all of the events um, which are in the calendar. Um, and um, that's, you know, relatively simple to do. Um, and once it's in the calendar, it, it doesn't change um, for me. But um, regardless, even if it did, the way that I, I'm handling this is I have a shortcut that goes through and it looks for all of the events like this. Um, and it looks up to seven years in the future um, just because it, find calendar events where automatically looks seven days in the future um and i can't actually remember now if i change it to months or years but either way it's it's checking a way out um there's never that many in the calendar anyway um and um then it grabs them all um and it is actually sorted by date um with like you know the the, the soonest to the furthest away um and then it goes through them and it just checks then if that date is in um data jar so I, I, I use DataJar for this. Um, and so if that date is in DataJar, then it knows that, that that particular day in the office has already been handled, as in it's created the checklist, it's created um, the um, relevant calendar events for me, um, and so on. I know it's coming out of my calendar, but I have other calendar events for like the train that I need to get, and so on and so forth. Um, and then if it isn't there, then it goes through and it adds the, you know, get the train to the office or drive to the office or or whatever it is. Um, and you know, um, it adds actually adds to my time blocking calendar as well for like, Hey, you actually need to plan to pack, which is good because I actually don't have time tomorrow. So I packed today instead, uh, because my Tuesdays are busy. So I had to pack on Monday. So I had to move that block. Um, it, it's not particularly smart. It just dumps it into the evening before. So I have to shuffle things around, but you know, I could make that smarter if I wanted to, but there, there is an element of manual, uh, you know, management to that area of my life because, just because I'm free at that moment in time doesn't mean that it's a great moment in time mentally for, for me to do that thing. Um, and um, yeah, and it'll add checklists into OmniFocus and so on. And then, you know, then it adds that date into the list in data jar so that it knows that that's been handled. Um, and that does mean that if a day gets rearranged for some reason, which hasn't happened yet, um, since I've been running this system, then I am going to end up with duplicates and I'm going to have to go through and delete them. But I also include the date of the event in the title. So there, it's there in the title of the checklist in OmniFocus. Um, and um, it's in the notes in of the event um, in the calendar and so on. So I can just search for office day with the date in the right format. And then I can delete the things that need to go away. Um, if I needed to, I could create a shortcut to remove those as well. Um, but I, I, I haven't felt a need to do that yet. But yeah, for me, um, just iterating through, you know, all of these things and adding the appropriate checklists and calendar events to my system works very well. But it, it really depends. You know, I'm on the receiving end of I get something added to my calendar and have to deal with it. Uh, if you're on the creating end where you're creating the things, then um, you have perhaps different options. I'm not going to say more options because it really depends, but there are different options available. Yeah. And just to kind of return to some of the other issues, like when you're putting together a project, 
or a project planning automation, there are categories of things you may want to do. Like usually you want to make a calendar event. Well, I'll tell you one of the traps of calendar events is getting the time right. Cause shortcuts is always tracking the time of an event. And if you don't put it in, it may take the time that you inserted it or something. But if you look at the time details of a, of a time entry and shortcuts, you'll see that you can turn the time off. And so like when you're going ahead to send the message to your, um, to your coworkers and you're saying, we're going to have a, a meeting on such and such a date, you don't have to display the time, but that's when no, it catches me. You can format me. the dates to remove the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's one that catches me on occasion. Um, mm-hmm. Another one thing you might want to do is add tasks and it just depends on what your task manager of choices, but most of them have good support reminders, OmniFocus things. They all, they all have good shortcut support. Inevitably, if you're doing this, you're probably going to want to make a text field, which I find very useful, the text box, where you can either make the text that goes into the project description, like if it's an Apple note or or like in my case, craft, but feel free to call those variables, but right click on them and make sure you only put as much information in as you need. Uh, the beauty of magic variables and shortcuts just can't be understated because you can change the information you get out of it. And then the last piece of it, the word of advice I would give you is usually at the end, you want, if you're going to send an email out to everyone, I generate that email text with all the variables that you've collected and created and modified, and you can have it save the recipients. So if you have the same recipients all the time, that makes it really easy. But um, make sure you don't check the box to send automatically. Just check the box so it shows the compose sheet after the shortcut runs. Uh, unless you're really, really confident. <laughs> I don't like to send out emails with robots without me reading them first. And and yeah. often I go in and make a little change or adjustment, but it does the heavy lifting for you. But but you think in those categories, you know, email, mm-hmm. calendar event, tasks, uh, project management page. And before you know it, you can automate the stuff really quickly. And it'll take you an hour or so to do it the first time. But once you get it figured out, in the future, whenever those ad hoc events come in, you trigger a shortcut, you look super organized to all your coworkers and, and that's automation, baby. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, and also something like what you're saying there, David, you know, um, with the, with the email, um, I also just will circle back to format date in a moment because I had a, a thought about that. So okay. remind me of that if I don't get to it. Um, but with the email, what you can do is, um, you could have it send one email to you and show the compose sheet. Um, And so what I'm thinking here is in the case of you don't want to just blanket email a bucket of 20 coworkers with the exact same email, Um, even putting everybody in the BCC field, you you know, you want to send it to people individually. Um, What you could do is you could have start by sending the email to yourself so that it pops up and shows you the email. Um, And then you can, you know, make any tweaks that need making, like select everything and copy it and then you could iterate through that list of 20 people or however many people it is hopefully it's not 20 people um because if it is somebody needs to actually create a system for dealing with this uh for you uh to make sure that you know everybody is dealing with it it sounds yeah it sounds like it sounds like a system would be needed for that let's say it's five people you know if you start by emailing it to yourself you don't even have to send that email you could just have it pop up in the compose sheet make any tweaks copy paste um and then just make sure that instead of like hi um you know um i'm gonna assume that your your name is um jay 
Um, and so in- instead of it saying hi, Jay, make sure it does something like name underscore name in all caps or something, and that it can just replace that. Um, but that it could iterate through the list of people and send stuff to them, um, you know, one by one with just replacing that little bit once you, you've had a look and made sure everything's okay. Um, and to go back to what you were saying, David, about the the date function, often including the time, one of the things I discovered, um, oh gosh, I'm not sure when I discovered it now, but it hasn't been there forever, is the format date function in shortcuts. There's an action for formatting the date. Uh, you don't have to use this. You can just um, insert a date action and then um, like format it on insert, but you're going to have to do that every single time. Whereas if you use a format date action and you need to use that date in a couple of places, then you can reuse the formatting. The format date also, or sorry, adjust date has the option to adjust the date to the start or the end of day. Um, and I believe it may even have the option for the the start of the week. And that has been very useful for me because that way I can, you know, just say like, hey, okay, so now I know that this is midnight on this day. So I know that it's this day. And then, you know, everything kind of just adds on from there, which makes a big difference to me. Um, so yeah, you get to reuse format date and you can adjust it to the start of the day. Yeah, I've always found that um, trying to automate calendar information with shortcuts always felt a little like difficult to me. And there's a lot of, I'm sorry, in Apple Script, I misspoke. Uh, formatting dates in Apple Script has always been difficult for me. And it's just really because they, you know, they use a, the way they tell time is weird, you know. And the, um, I don't even, Rose will know the exact language, but basically they're counting from the, I don't know, was it the beginning of time? What is that? So it's it's June first, nineteen seventy, in Unix yeah. time. Uh, but um, there's also Cocoa time. Yeah. So which is another. I I don't remember where that starts from, but that starts from a different time. Um, and that of course is a, a separate thing, and that's going to make things a bit more complicated. It, so it's, yeah, it's, it's harrowing. And every time I do it, I have to go back and relearn because it's just I don't do it every day. I do it like once every year. And then I realized, oh, yeah, this is terrible. But um, shortcuts makes it so much easier to deal with dates. That's, you know, we talk often on the show how there's different platforms. Well, I feel like shortcuts definitely wins when it comes to working with dates. And uh, they, mm-hmm. it just gets better over time. Like, we used to have to run separate actions to format the date, but now you can insert the variable and format it right there. Though I will say, if you're going to format it the same way a couple of times, save yourself the trouble and use a single format date action because then you don't have like, you know, two formats that are the same and one format that's almost the same, but just a little bit different. And that's where it gets a bit. Yeah. And that gets you in trouble for sure. Like I'll give you an example of this. Like I, in addition to doing a bunch of stuff, when I make these projects for these content things, I also have a page in craft, which is like the master list of active projects. And I was, uh, inserting i was basically recreating the file name on that page inside double brackets which in essence creates a link to that page but it wasn't working and i couldn't figure out why and then i suddenly realized what i was doing was i had a slightly different format on the date for the file name versus the mm-hmm. the thing i inserted and you know just like dumb dumb stuff like that you, you sometimes you create your own problems but Either way, uh, this anonymous listener wrote in and asked us to tell him what time it was, and we built a Rolex watch. So I hope <laughs> something in there was of help help to you. <laughs> but yeah, but Rosa, can you tell Rosa and I get excited about this stuff? I think just a little. Yeah, yeah, we definitely do, and I think that's great because there's a whole bunch more feedback that we'll get to uh, just after this. 
This episode of Automators is brought to you by Network to Code. Network to Code is a leading provider of network automation solutions. They help companies transform the way their networks are deployed, managed, and consumed through a combination of software and services. In short, they bridge the gap between DevOps and network engineering. Network to Code is also the proud sponsor of Nautobot Project. Nautobot is a free and open source network source of truth and network automation platform. And that's Nautobot as in network automation bot, in case you were wondering. It's the network CDMB you wish you'd always had. Are you struggling to manage network inventory? Do you wish you had a better built-in solution to drive your network automation? If so, you've got to check out Nautobot. Everything from inventory, IP addresses, VLANs, and even routing protocols and firewall pro- policies can be stored and modeled. Nautobot is the authoritative source of truth for the network. Not only does Nautobot help you manage your data, but it also has a rich developer API and ecosystem of apps that actually do network automation. Nautobot apps are for also free and open source. You can use them to do things like network backups, config compliance, model firewall policies, and so much more. Network automation begins with data. Get control of your data and take back control of your network with Nautobot. Ready to explore Nautobot? Head over to go.networktocode.com slash automators to learn about all things Nautobot. That's go.networktocode.com slash automators. Our thanks to Network to Code for their support of this show. Okay, John asks, I have an iOS automation to pause music when I get in my car, but it asks me every time I get in to run it, is there a way to just have it run without the interaction? So the first thing that I thought of is, I'm guessing that there's there's two options here. John could be using Bluetooth to trigger this. If it yeah. is a Bluetooth um, shortcuts automation trigger, there is no way to turn off us before running. This is a security thing. Apple have decided um, that you you can't do that. Or you didn't notice that there is an ask before running trigger that you can turn off. I'm guessing, based on the fact that John's asking this question, is John's looked for this and hasn't found it. So um, it's probably that you're using Bluetooth. If your car has CarPlay, I recommend using CarPlay instead uh, and the CarPlay trigger specifically um, so that you can turn off us before running and voila. Yeah. If your car doesn't have CarPlay, um, then I hope that the Bluetooth is set to the vehicle type. Um, so in the settings app on your iPhone, um, when you tap on Bluetooth, and then if you you pick something um, that you're connected to, such as, um, for example, if I uh, select uh, this uh, headphone adapter, when you're connected to it, you can actually change the type so you can specify it's a car. Um, and then um, the focus mode for driving can enable automatically when it, when it thinks you're driving. Um, and that will include um, uh, when it's connected to the car Bluetooth. Um, and... So then you can actually use the driving focus mode enabling as your proxy for running this. So when the driving focus mode is enabled, then, you know, play some music or, or whatever it is. So that is what I would suggest, um, assuming that CarPlay is not an option. Um, but that ask before running trigger, that is something that I think um, a lot of people kind of skip over because they've like, right, I've built the shortcut and I've done the things and I'm just good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Done, done, done. So make sure that you've definitely turned that off. Yeah, I think I honestly can't think of a time that that's been an option and I haven't turned it off. I mean, it's just like, I don't want notifications for my shortcuts. I made the shortcut. It's fine. But I do understand why they exist. Apple is worried about security. Like the Bluetooth example is a good one. 
if your phone connects to some random Bluetooth and stuff starts automatically happening on your phone, that could be bad, right? Um, I think shortcuts mm-hmm. is pretty safe. I mean, but yeah, you know, there, there's no um, limit on what ill will people could do if they if they were able to hijack you through shortcuts and a Bluetooth connection. But that's the thinking at Apple. I'm, you know, if you go back in time, uh, Chase, I'm sorry, if you go back in time, John, you'll see that Apple didn't let you turn it off on hardly anything at the beginning. And over the years, they've kind of softened on it. And hopefully every year it gets a little easier. But um, sometimes if you don't have the switch to turn it off, there's no way to stop it. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where, uh, if you don't have, um, you know, the a, a way to detect that you're connected to the car other than that, then unfortunately, you may kind of be stuck with upgrading your car. But before you do that, consider doing things like sticking an NFC tag on the dash um, of your car. And so you just kind of tap your phone to the NFC tag. You don't actually have to tap it. It's that area right above. Um, it's, it's kind of like behind the face ID sensor. If you have one of those, um, you know, in the middle at the top, you just kind of have to hover your phone over it, uh, while unlocked. But if you've got face ID, then you're, uh, and, or an Apple watch, then your phone is probably going to unlock when you pick it up. Um, and it recognizes either your face or your watch is nearby. Um, and then you can just kind of hover it over that and then it will run it, um, from there. That may be a good alternative to upgrading your car. Certainly a heck of a lot cheaper to try out. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, uh, Give those a try and yeah, be, pay attention to which automations you are or automation triggers you are using in shortcuts. Some of them are more automated than others. Rose, what do you, what kind of automation are you running when you enter your car? Would I'm, I'm imagining your phone like cooks you coffee or something. What what happens? Yeah, when you enter I your mean, car? I mean, I don't drink coffee, so okay. so no, it doesn't do that. Let me see. When I connect to CarPlay, so I have a number of these which apparently are disabled because I have. Um, you know, done. Um, I've I've tried out a bunch of stuff over over time, um, and um, at the moment, honestly, it's it's not running anything. Um, so um, that's because most of the time, you know, my phone, I've 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 set up everything else so that it's automated. Because um, did you know that in the Maps app? So you've got your favorites that you can add in the Maps app. So favorite sort of locations. And those appear in a nice little list on the side in CarPlay. But when you are in the Maps app on your phone, um, if you uh, look at sort of the favorites area in Maps and you tap on more on the right-hand side, so it shows you a list. If you then tap on the info bubble and scroll down, then there is a share ETA option where you can automatically share your ETA at an address within a person. So... That means that then, you know, I get in my car and I tap on the place that I want to go and it automatically starts sharing my ETA. And this works on Android as well as iOS. On Android, it'll send them text messages, um, like it'll send them a text message now. It'll send them a text message if there's a significant delay of some kind, and then it sends them one like a couple of minutes before you arrive. Um, uh, but yeah, like, you know, that, and so it does that. And most of the time, my phone will just kind of automatically play music. Um, and I do have um, Do Not Disturb While Driving automatically enabled. Um, and Do Not Disturb when, While Driving, when enabled, automatically it turns off announced notifications for me. Um, and then when I turn Do Not Disturb While, uh, when I turn my driving focus off, 
then announce notifications gets turned back on, which means that if I want notifications while I'm in the car, I can just turn off do not, uh, the driving focus mode. Don't worry, folks. Uh, you know, I, I still, I'm still limited to what appears on my dashboard with CarPlay, so I'm not going to be getting you know emails and stuff through. Uh, but it means that I have a way of just toggling announce notifications on and off, um, like from my wrist uh, really quickly, like as I get into the car, you know, I drop my phone into the console and the MagSafe puck kind of walks onto the back. Um, and then I can just, you know, um, turn it off on my wrist uh, before uh, I, I, I go anywhere if I want to um, or not. Um, you know, I, I usually leave Do Not Disturb while driving um, enabled, um, but I found being able to have announced notifications automatically disabled and then turn it back on very easily is quite nice when, uh, you know, if I'm driving other people around and so on. But what about you, David? What, what automations are you running? I was kind of relieved when you said you don't do a lot because I don't either. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, that, that share ETA, I use that almost every time I drive, you know, if I'm going to visit someone, I do it. If I'm heading home and my wife is home and a uh, uh, power trick here is you can trigger Siri and say, share my ETA with Daisy or share my ETA mm -hmm. with Rose. And you don't even have yeah. to navigate through the menu system. You can just No, no. I mean, that. it is right at the bottom when you are navigating somewhere with CarPlay, um, which I love. But I really love the fact that you can just have it automatically on certain locations. So if I'm driving to my parents' house, like when I tap on my parents in CarPlay, it automatically shares my ETA with my mom. Yeah. So, you know, by, by just navigating to the location, my ETA is shared. It's not shortcuts, but it's an automation. It's great. Yeah. I love yeah, it. Agreed. And like you, my the way my car works, the phone kind of gets tucked away when I plug it into CarPlay, so I'm never tempted to look at it. And uh, I I am a huge fan of CarPlay. Stephen and I did a whole episode of Mac Power Users on it, and I just feel like it's got exactly the right balance. I don't want it to give me all the information when I'm driving. I want to be safe, but it does have enough. And I just think they, they've done a really good job on that. I can't wait to see if we get any updates for that this year. Um, but the, uh, in general, I feel like, you know, I, we kind of went down a, a rabbit hole there. But yeah. um, oh, the other thing I do with CarPlay, or it's not really CarPlay, but whenever I get home, I also yell to Siri to unlock the front door. And it works every time. I yeah. love that. But yeah. you get to the front door, it's unlocked, and it's great. Yeah, I... Um so I've got uh, patio doors um, to my place, which I usually use as my entrance. Yeah. And so from Home Assistant, um, I made them into a fake uh, cover, i.e. a fake garage door in yeah. HomeKit. So I share a fake garage door to HomeKit, which means that on my car dash, um, you know, like I, so I reverse into my parking space um, and I always reverse into my parking space. Um, well, I say always, nearly always reverse into my parking space. So the reversing camera is enabled. Uh, and I turn off the engine and it goes back to CarPlay. Um, it ends the route automatically because I've turned off the engine and I'm at my location. I don't know what magic it's using to do that, but that's fine with me. I love it. Um, and so I can then just tap on the little um, icon at the bottom. Uh, it's on the bottom right for me because my car's a right-hand drive. It'll be on the bottom left for the vast majority of our listeners who have left-hand drive cars. Um, and that is either like um, a grid of four uh, sort of like rounded squares um, across two rounded squares down, or it's a um, like a, a, a big rectangle with like 
uh, some smaller rectangles. And because I have series suggestions enabled, um, and also if I tap on the 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 four by two grid, then I can just tap in that same spot and because the other icon appears. But I have series suggestions enabled, and this is really important because then that um, that shows up on my dashboard. Um, so I can then have the patio doors appear on my dashboard. I tap it and it unlocks them. I get out of the car and walk into the house and that's it. Um, and that, that's really nice. One last power tip here is put the, put the addresses of your events in your calendar. And then when you get in your car, it'll also automatically tell, yeah, you know, it'll pop up and suggest that you might want those, which is awesome. Yeah. I really love that. Now Chase wrote in. And I knew this question was coming, Rose, because I've been playing with this. I'm sure you have been, too. He says, hello, automators. Have you tested out using chat GPT to write any automations as a launching point? And Chase has used it to write auto hotkey for his Windows work computer. And now he's looking into AppleScript. What do you guys think? Mm, So, I mean, I have very strong opinions about whether or not AI, which is a bit of a misnomer, it's not actually intelligent, folks. It's it's an algorithm. It's not really learning. It's it's collecting data and using the same algorithm to apply its knowledge. Um, is is actually good or bad? But in my personal experience for code, um, it is not a good idea. Um, and I'm I'm going to add some caveats to this. But in general, what it produces. It's very confident about the results and it looks good at a glance, but either you're probably asking, you could be asking a very simple question. It gets it right straight off the bat and that's fine. Um, You could be very good at what you're doing and you're just asking it as a like, okay, well, if there's 17 different ways to solve this, pick one for me, in which case you can sort of look at it and take it with the heavy dose of salt um, that you need out of the salt mine, in fact, most of the salt mine, and massage the the response to be correct and actually work in the situations you need. Or you're, you may be in a middle ground of you're asking a more complex question, but you don't necessarily understand the nuances of the answer. Now, with automation, you're probably going to be okay. But I would advise people to be very cautious in assuming that what it produces is correct. Uh, and it's certainly not optimized. Um, I'm going to use Home Assistant as an example of this because they, they there is a fairly significant problem with Home Assistant and ChatGPT. Um, they are using it, to be clear, um, but you shouldn't use it to create Home Assistant automations or scripts because what happens in Home Assistant is you have two, two sort of uh, parts. Um, so you've got a domain like light, switch, etc. And then you've got services that you can call from that, like turn on and turn off. Okay, well, that works for for you know a light and a switch. It doesn't work for weather um, and so on, which is another domain. Um, but ChatGPT is smart enough to understand that the bit that comes before the dot and the bit that comes after the dot like, can be independent to an extent of one another. But it is not smart enough to know that the bit that comes after the dot, the service call, is limited and only come, ties into some bits before the dot. So it will suggest things like turning the weather off. Or something like that um, to to do things. So I would advise people to be cautious and make sure that you know you're using this to help boost your knowledge with some idea of what's going on. And I would suggest not necessarily going straight to Chat GPT, but making sure that you use the other resources available, such as Stack Overflow and so on as well, because there there's a lot of stuff out there on the internet, especially for Apple Script already, uh, where somebody's written exactly what you want. Um, and yeah, especially as we find more and more chat GPT answers being posted on the internet, that feeds the data set, which 
especially if it's wrong, is then feeding it more wrong data, in which case it's going to keep thinking that wrong is right and producing more stuff. And yeah, it, it it's it's interesting. Like I personally wouldn't use it other than, you know, like maybe to kind of do coin toss type things. Um, but it's been very confidently incorrect about a large number of things in the past. And I think there's there's enough things in life that it can that we have been confidently incorrect that we could possibly skip this for automation purposes. But what about you, David? Um, well, I think I'm more optimistic than you. Uh, the key question in the, the key phrase in Chase's question is using it as a launching point. And I think it, it can work. I mean, Apple script to me is the one I keep throwing at these and it has the hardest time with because Apple script was really meant to be kind of human writable and readable. I mean, we've had salsa going on the show to talk about that in the past. So it's a weird language. And I feel like chat GPT uh, stumbles on that one. I've had it write scripts for me just for tests. We did some stuff on this in the Max Berkey labs and it's, um, Sometimes it's okay and sometimes it needs work, but as a launching point, it can work. And Rose makes a great point. If you do a Google search and somebody's already written the script for you, you don't need a launching point. You just grab the script and you're off to the races. But if you're, if you're just, you're hitting a brick wall, you can't find any good examples on the internet. Um, using chat GPT four, um, I, I have subscribed because I'm trying to figure out this stuff like everybody else. Um, while Rose was talking, I asked it, uh, write an Apple script to ask for a date and present a dialogue box with a date two days before that. And uh, this script looks to me like it'll work. I haven't, you know, I just did this and I haven't had time. But it, it and it, the thing that it did that I haven't seen it do before is it inserted remarks. So it says, here's the section where we're going to prompt the user for the date. Here's the section where we're going to convert the date to an object. Here's the section where we're going to do date math. And like, all of that stuff can be very hard to find sometimes on the internet. And even being able to take little pieces of a chat GPT generated automation script and dedicate to something you're going to use is, it could be useful. So um, these things are going to get better and more useful. Uh, they're not going to really teach it to you the way someone, you know, a human can, but they will hopefully give you some jumping off points, but, but everything Rose says is true as well. I feel like, we need humans involved in computer programming. Yeah, you know, that could. First of all, I think humans have better ideas than computers that are just you know regurgitating what they find on the internet. And secondly, uh, you know, if they turn, if, if the computers can program themselves, we're all done for, right? I mean, isn't that the beginning of the end? My my favorite uh, joke related to this is there are two schools of thought uh, when it comes to. Um, you know, uh, automated uh, programming. One school of thought is that programmers will program themselves out of a job by, you know, yeah. automating all of this. The other school of thought is incredibly hard to understand because they're too busy laughing so hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, it, it does feel like, you know, maybe people are going to automate themselves out of a job. I'm not saying that's not going to happen. I'm saying that there are some questions that solving them is a much bigger challenge than you think. Um, and so, yeah, take take whatever you're given from these things with a grain of salt. Do not assume that it's correct if it does not provide references. <laughs> ChatGPT does not. Um, then you should absolutely go and check to make sure that it is, you know, doing the right thing. If it says um, that, you know, Charles Dickens was born in 2003, you're probably going to notice that that's wrong. But if you pick a date out of thin air that you don't necessarily know, such as 1857, 
unless you happen to know when Charles Dickens was born. I don't. If it is 1857, then bingo. I'm awesome at trivia. Um, maybe. Um, or maybe not. Um, but uh, yeah, like you, you should definitely be checking on these things and looking at stuff uh, to make sure that you understand what it's doing. So never just take a script for an automation that ChatGPT has given you and just use it without thinking. Read through it, make sure you understand it and go from there. Yeah. Somebody told me that you should think of chat GPT or any of these large language models as a, as an intern. You know, if you brought an intern into your company and you asked an intern a question, would you make a decision on that intern's answer? No, you would, you would go deeper. But if you had the intern do some initial research for you, that would make sense. And then you would follow up to figure out if your intern knew what the heck he or she was talking about. Um, and that's kind of the way you've got to you approach this stuff. But I, I do think, uh, getting back to Chase, um, this is a good resource if you're if you're learning Apple Script and you can't figure out how to do something, you can't find it on the internet. You know, go ahead and ask the question, see what it comes up with. It, it's getting better. Uh, Apple Script to me, I think, is the hardest one for ChatGPT to get right. Like I had it do some JavaScript for me, and, and everything was super clean. I have it do Apple Script, and sometimes it falls flat on its face. So just be um, just be wary, but I don't think it's a terrible idea to give it a shot. Absolutely. Yeah. Using it as a jumping off point is a great way to get started. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by Electric. Go to electric.ai slash automators and unbury yourself from your IT tasks and get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones when you schedule a qualifying meeting. I know there's a lot of you out there that are running your own small business and you're listening to the automators. You're super nerdy. You're able to do a bunch of the IT stuff yourself. I'm here to tell you right now, you should not be doing that. That is not why you run the business. The business is there to do the business, not the IT. So what you want to do is get someone to help you out with that so you can focus on the business and make it successful. Now, I'm telling you this because I have failed at this many times and I have learned the lesson the hard way. So don't be like me. Hire Electric so they can do the IT for you and you can build your empire. Now, the team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they're on hand to help with the time-consuming parts of your business like standardized device security with best-in-class device management software so you can implement best practices across the board and be ready to scale. Employee onboarding, man, that, that can take so much time. But Electric will do it for you, saving you the average of eight hours per request. Uh, keeping a single point of visibility into your IT environment to control your devices, networks, and applications. They do simplified reporting that allows you to achieve and maintain compliance. And they have proactive IT recommendations and automated workflows to make IT easy to manage for even non-technical users. And look, if you're hearing this and you think your company could use some of the above services, but you're not sure where to start, Electric's experts will guide you through the process and establish standardized IT processes for your organization. This is definitely something you want to offload, and that's what Electric is there for. Don't make my same mistakes. Instead, get Electric on your side, get some professional IT help, and get back to work. Now, for Automator's listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash automators. Once again, electric, E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C dot A-I slash automators. Go there now to get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today for scheduling a meeting. And our thanks to Electric for their support 
of the Automators and all of Relay FM. Yeah, um, I got an email from Mark. I actually know this guy. Um, I met him a long time ago at Macworld, and it was nice hearing from him. But he said, look, he, he's been hearing me talk about time tracking, and he's decided to give it a try, but he wants to use an automation-friendly platform for it. Uh, Mark, you're speaking my language. Uh, but, you know, so the two he was looking at was timer and timing. And honestly, those are the two good ones. We did a, a whole show on it on Mac Power Users two or three years ago. And uh, we didn't really get too heavy into automation on that show because that's not really what we do there. But uh, both of these are um, automation-friendly uh, applications. And uh, so just generically kind of breaking it down, Timery uh, plugs into the toggle kind of system, which is a, a free web service where they you can track time, but Timery is like a front end for it. And the developer is really smart and has made some of the best catalyst apps on the Mac. And he also has the great apps on iOS and iPhone. And he has incorporated automation like at every step of the way. And uh, this one particularly uh, does well with shortcuts. Like they've got actions and shortcuts that do just about everything. And um, this is like Rose said, probably a separate show, but like one of the things I like in Timery is you can make a shortcut to trigger a timer, but you could also, while you're at it, like if you're triggering a timer, let's say to do work on client work, well, why don't you also have it put you in a work focus mode? Um, why don't you have it also, you know, put the music on that you like when you do work and so like think of it as an opportunity not just to trigger a timer but to just create the atmosphere or the environment to do the work and you know we talk about setups all the time this is a great example of that so uh the timer fortunately works in a way where you can make a trigger to to toggle the timer or you could have uh, turning the timer on trigger further automation so it allows you to kind of go both direction with it but the way i do it is I have a series of shortcuts that when I trigger them and, and I just say, you know, start work timer and that's the name of the shortcut. And if I start typing that in um, with any of your shortcut launcher of choice, then it turns on the work timer, sets the focus mode and just does everything I need to get work going. And I find that automation of that is super easy. Now, you could also do it with Timery because it's a shortcut-based trigger. You could also have it show up automatically without you manually triggering it. Uh, I'll give you one example here, and I'll let Rose talk. I've been talking too long. But, for instance, when I open the Kindle app on my phone or my iPad, then it sees that's a trigger because that can be a trigger in shortcuts when you open an app, and that triggers the uh, the reading mode, and that sets the reading focus mode and it turns on the reading uh, timer through timery and just does everything for me. So you can kind of go through the day mark uh, without having to do a lot of, you know, manually throwing triggers. Now I get some people like to manually throw the triggers. I sometimes I do too. I think it helps you change your context, but if you want to bring automation to the game, uh, that's the first one. We're going to get to timing in a second, but I, that's kind of it for timery. Yeah, I definitely recommend, you know, you really want to tie this in to everything else that you, you would need to do so that you don't have to do another 21 actions as as you as you move into a mode. Um, and, and that for me is why the automation is key. And timing and timery are, are both great for this for different reasons. You know, I, I personally 
tend towards timing, uh, timery, um, but timing um, is great for, you know, the slightly more granular, what was I doing at this moment in time on my Mac? Because, uh, you know, I find it very easy to get a bit sidetracked at times so that I end up just, you know, doing, uh, you know, something different. And it's it's nice to be able to figure out with timing specifically um, when I kind of went a little off piste, not necessarily in a bad way, that can also be a good way. Um, but yeah, just, just what was going on there. I kind of wish these apps had the ability just to measure in like 10 minute increments. I mean, I really don't care about, um, getting it down to the second. I mean, when I do time tracking, it's just to figure out where I'm spending my time. Not, you know, I'm not billing clients anymore, so I don't need that granularity. I feel like one mistake all of these make is they just lean into that detail so heavy that it actually makes it more tedious to use the app. Um, you can, in timery, you can tell it round, you know, you can say it round to the nearest half hour or 10 minutes or whatever, but I just, I would prefer it to, um, to just say, okay, don't even give me the option to insert seconds or minutes. And, um, but that's just kind of my own personal little thing. I don't think there's a lot of people that want that, but, but the automation story for timer, I think is a good one, but it, it really begins and ends with shortcuts, but it has super robust shortcuts. You can make it, you can not only trigger a time timery event with a shortcut. You can also have timery event shortcut triggered by other events. Like I just explained with my Kindle app opening up and they, uh, he just continues. I forget the developer's name. It's right on the tip of my tongue. Joe. Joe. Yeah. Joe just continues to improve it. I'm on the beta and like, it seems like every few days there's a new version. He's always figuring out all the rough spots of that app and, and making it smoother. And that's an excellent option if you want to do some, uh, some automatic time tracking. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, timing on the Mac is, is great because it just, it just watches what you're doing and it's like, okay, so you've set this up. So like, you know, this application um, or, you know, this website, it, you know, tracks to this or whatever. And that, that is awesome. And I love that you can achieve some of the similar things by like, you know, as David said, you know, when I open the Kindle app, start, you know, this, this timer so that I know that I was doing this. Um, and that is great um, for, for those things. But on the Mac, um, I find it, it's a little nicer. It just sort of, it's entirely in the background. Um, and shortcuts on iOS is still a little bit more. I'm going to hop into the foreground and just let you know that I did the thing, um, which, you know, has advantages and disadvantages. There's there's definitely both to that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we'll have to uh, follow up at some point, uh, maybe a bit later in the year um, on how we're doing this, because I've been you know, tweaking my time tracking approach and what exactly is my time tracking for and how do I sort of categorize it, um, which has affected the automations that I'm using for this, which is really nice. Yeah. And I would say if you spend primarily your time on a Macintosh, you really should look at timing because it tracks what's going on on your computer and the automation. I mean, there's lots of automation and I could go deeper down the rabbit hole because with timing, you can write Apple scripts to do pretty much anything you can do with timery. Um, but, and I've done some of that, but the real automation of timing really is you just train it whenever I'm at this web page, then track that as recording the automators podcast. Cause you only go to this web page when you're recording the automators podcast and you can teach it over time and over it gets so automated because as it learns, as you teach it what you're doing, it puts everything in projects for you. 
And the data is super accurate because it knows the moment you open the application, the moment you went to that window, the moment you left it. So it's, it is a whole separate form of automation, but you have a lot of options, Mark. Yeah, you really do. And I think one of those things is, you know, just continue to look for opportunities that you can, you can, you know, enhance and take from there. Um, and as with all these things, you don't ever have to say, that's it. It's done. I'm never touching it again. You know, do something for now, anything to get you started and then come back and have a dabble and play again later. It could be next week. It could be tomorrow. It could be next month or even next year. Um, but you know, don't, don't lock yourself into thinking that your, your automation is finished. Um, just get yourself, uh, at a point where it works and then come back to it later so that you can improve it once you've figured out whether or not any of it's working for you to start with. So Joseph wrote in, which robot vac should I buy? And this question is like, this is a dangerous question. Like, because then Rose is going to tell me why the current robot vac I have, which is like four or five years old, is terrible and I need to buy a new one. But I can tell you, I just have the iRobot robot vac. I have the basic Mm -hmm. one. But it does have the little station where it lands and empties its bag out. Mm-hmm. And my yeah. current automation scheme is I, as I'm walking out the door, I tap the little button and he goes off and does his work when I'm out of the room. And uh, I'm just not I'm just not far down the robot vac vac rabbit hole. But I feel like Rose is gonna is gonna make me nervous now. What are you doing, Rose? Well, maybe I'm gonna make you nervous. Maybe I'm not. Um, so. There is something important that you need to know if you have never used a robot vacuum or a robot mop before, um, or even if you have, which is um, the they are not big, powerful vacuums, you know, like the kind that you drag around, possibly literally doing the dragging, um, possibly lighter weight, whatever. You know, they, they are not going to have as much suction and so on as those do. But because they can just run every day, they can run while you're asleep or, you know, while you're in a meeting in another room or whatever they can, by doing things frequently, be as effective as a human. Like every single morning um, while I am in my morning stand-up meeting, the meeting where everybody at work tells everyone, you know, this is what I've been up to, this is what I'm going to be working on, have a nice day. Um, it only takes 15 minutes um, with 15 people, but, you know, we we do that. And while I'm doing that, my robot mops and vacuums my kitchen for me. So then I know my kitchen floor is clean. Um, so, you know, if a fork drops on the floor... I do not have to be like, oh, God, that's, you know, that's terrible. That needs to go into the dishwasher in a 90 minute, you know, bacteria killing cycle. I can't just, you know, give it a wash and, and use it. Um, and this, you know, this is great because it does it every day. Um, the thing with a robot vacuum, of course, because it's quite small, is it's got a relatively small dirt bin, which is why David's got the one that can empty itself. So it can just go back and empty the uh, the, the bin and voila, it's done. Um, and I have the same sort of thing. Now I have an Ecovats D-Bot, um, I think it's the D7, um, but, um, it is a robot, uh, vacuum and it's a mop and it has a garage. So it can go back to the garage and it can clean its mopettes. It's got an empty and a clean, uh, uh, it's got a dirty and a clean water tank. So it can take clean water, wash the mop pads, and then, you know, it, it pumps the water into the dirty water. It can refill itself. Um, and it can empty its own dirt bin and it will go around. And the reason why I got this one is if it, the mop heads are attached, it just doesn't go onto carpet. 
So even if my kitchen door is open, it's not going to come into the living room if the mop heads are on. Um, if the mop heads are off, it will go off and clean everything um, around, uh, you know, around the house, um, which is lovely. Um, you can get ones which will lift their mop section as they go onto carpet. Um, that may be preferable for some people. The Robo Rock ones can do that. Um, but it really depends on the kind of flooring you have um, as to what it is that you're going to want. Um, these things can be incredibly cheap. Prime Day sales, um, Anchor does the Eufy range of robot vacuums. I had one of those before. It was great. Uh, personally, I, I went with the auto-emptying and um, self-cleaning mop heads because I will forget to do this. And there is nothing worse than coming home and finding that your robot vacuum barfed dust all over your carpet um, and having to vacuum up what the robot vacuum unvacuumed by accident. But yeah, there there's a lot of options out there. It, it kind of depends on what you can get on sale and what your needs are. Um, if you're in a split-level home, um, either a dumber robot vacuum, which doesn't have a map, or one that can do multiple maps is probably going to be a win. Um, or two robot vacuums if you've got the cash to splash. So I'm not tempted. You know, I mean, I feel like my answer to uh, my answer would be get whichever one you want. I, I just don't think you know they all kind of do the same thing. The trick is getting them to to go frequently. Now, if you are someone who isn't home, like let's say you go to the office five days a week and you want to be able to trigger the robot vacuum while you're at work, well, then you need one that's got a few more features, right? That can do it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but for me, fortunately, I'm not. I work from home. And I don't have a scheduled time. In fact, I tried to schedule this one at some point. And then one night at 2 a.m. I woke up. I thought there was a thief in the house. And it was just a robot back bumping into things in my studio. So, you know, I actually kind of like the manual nature of it. Um, mm-hmm. But what I would would say is I think these things have gotten a lot better since I bought mine. Even that mm. being said, uh, mine runs at least once a day. And I've replaced the battery. I have like, you know, I've got kind of the system down. I've replaced the roller. Um, I've definitely been kind of getting the most out of this one. And it does a great job. I mean, I once in a while I'll come in here because the room has a mixture of carpet and hardwood floors. And the back door leads out into the garden. And sometimes I track mud in. And sometimes the robot can't get that. And I'll have to come in and mop up a little bit. But in general, these are some of the cleanest floors in the house, and it's all in my little studio because my robot back. So, so I guess my answer is you really can't go wrong. Get one that's got some good reviews and just decide how far down the rabbit hole you want to go on automation. I feel like automation is really where it starts getting more expensive. It definitely can do. That said, for me, I love the fact that this just runs every day at 9.45 a.m. Um, and that, well, it runs Monday to Friday, 9.45 a.m., and, and that's great. You know, I don't need to worry that um my my kitchen floor is ever not going to be cleaned um you know every so often um as i'm throwing stuff in the laundry really quickly um you know before work i might get a little bit of washing powder on the floor or something well it's going to get cleaned up so i don't have to worry about it um and and that is lovely you know it doesn't le- it doesn't mean that i can just throw things on the floor and expect the robot vacuum and mop to deal with them it will only be able to do you know what it's capable of doing um, and you know, these things aren't amazing, but a tiny little bit of, you know, washing powder or, um, fabric softener or something that hits the floor. It's good deal with that. The only thing I have to watch is when I go into the kitchen after stand up, if I want to grab a second breakfast, because I am secretly part hobbit, um, that, uh, you know, I, I have to kind of practice my 
um, you know, Disney on ice routine um, and and walk like a penguin um, because otherwise, you know, you, you'll be doing the slip and slide. But it can still be good fun. <laughs> I kind of would like to see that someday, Rose. <laughs> uh, I have to say, ever since I I, I started taking um, you know acrobatics classes, uh, that that unfortunately ha- for everybody else has got uh, a little less uh, entertaining because I'm pretty good at like just gliding now. Uh, my mom used to be a figure skater. Maybe I inherited that ability. I don't know. Uh, but as it is, I'm, I'm I'm having a lot of fun gliding across my kitchen floor when I forget that it's slippier, slipperier than uh, I remembered. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Text Expander. When you work in a small team, every moment counts. You don't want to be wasting your time finding video conferencing details to send to a new client. You don't want to track down the same MFAQs from the company website again and again. These are the kind of things you want at your fingertips so you can get your work done faster. And that's why you need Text Expander. With Text Expander, you can access what you type the most with just a few keystrokes, allowing you to work faster and eliminate repetition, letting you focus on what matters most to you. Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations streamline your team's work. All you have to do is type a short abbreviation, and Text Expander does the rest for you. You just build a collect of your most commonly used phrases, messages, URLs, and more right within Text Expander. Then create your chosen abbreviation, and they'll be with you wherever you type. You can even customize snippets by having them automatically fill in dates, fill in the blank fields, timestamps, and more. This will make sure that you keep the personality in the communication you send. Text Expander is available on any device you use across any app you use on Mac, Windows, Chrome, and iOS. I use Text Expander for all sorts, like making sure that when I type in tomorrow's date, it's actually tomorrow's date and it's correctly formatted. And, you know, I just love that it makes sure that I get the little things right, as well as the big stuff. It's there helping me bridge all of those gaps so that I don't have to think about being productive. I just am productive. If repetitive typing is getting you down, you need Text Expander. Check out Text Expander today at textexpander.com automators and you can get 20% off your first year. That's textexpander.com slash automators to say goodbye to repetitive typing. Our thanks to Text Expander for their support of this show. All right, Ty wrote in. He says, love the show. Getting started learning to automate his office and workflow. And he was listening to our Mike Hurley show where we talked about home assistant. And um, before he was a home assistant user, he was a Hoobs user. Uh, we've talked about that on the show as well. Um, Hoobs uses integrated Hoobs uses integrations and turns them into a bridge in the system with a QR code to scan into HomeKit. I was able to bring the Ring video doorbell into HomeKit with great ease. Um, mm. Rose, uh, you've got any experience with Hoobs? Uh, yeah, a little bit of experience with Hoobs. Um, it's one of those things where um, it, it's definitely nice and easy because you, you just kind of buy the box, you plug it in, and it works. Uh, under the hood, it's basically running HomeBridge. Um, so if anybody's going, oh, I, that, that sounds really easy. Um, it is running Homebridge. If you have a computer at home, like a Synology or something, you can definitely run this yourself. Um, and, um, you know, you can, you can make it a lot easier um, for yourself. So Hoops is great. Um, I personally prefer Home Assistant for, for a lot of this stuff. Um, but yeah, there there's a lot of great options out there. It's worth considering. Um, that said, at the moment, a Hoops starter box is uh, on sale for two hundred and forty nine dollars ninety nine, um, so I feel like if somebody is looking at using this to solve their home automation problems, um, definitely take a look at Homebridge and Home Assistant first because they are free. Um, if you already have Hoops, um, that's great. Um, you know, it's it works. 
it's wonderful that's good um but yeah don't feel that you need to spend 250 dollars to solve the the gaps in your home automation system uh the minimum would be worth saving some of that money um so that you can maybe just buy upgraded automation devices which will then work with matter and HomeKit in the near future how long do you think we're gonna have to wait for matter to really land um, I mean, I kind of feel like to an extent it's already here. I got the new SwitchBot hub the other day, which, um, you know, I, I'm, I've only just started playing with it, but that's a matcher hub. So that will integrate the things like the curtains, the SwitchBot curtains that I have into HomeKit directly as well as Home Assistant, um, which is great. So I'm I'm looking forward to giving that a better try. I've only just set it up, um, so I can't really talk about that yet. But it feels like there's a lot of matcher compatible devices here. And they're already, you know, bringing things into systems that previously they weren't able to do, uh, you know, they weren't compatible with. Um, that said, you know, the the matter and the thread spec, you know, they're they're not fully rolled out yet, so there are limitations to that. But we're definitely, you know, we're we're going down that path already. It's it's coming faster than I kind of thought it would. I still don't think that, you know, if you've got, you know, a bunch of Hue lights, you should be throwing them out to buy matcher compatible ones. Uh, yeah. A, because Hue's got a hub coming uh, and just buy the new hub, people. Please don't buy all new light bulbs. That'll be very expensive. And B, you know, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, don't change, don't change stuff that works just because there's a theoretically better one out there. If your, for example, light bulb is too dim and therefore you are looking to get a brighter light bulb and you find a brighter light bulb that is also matcher compatible, um, then that's great. By all means, upgrade that. But yeah, don't don't throw away the stuff that's working just to get matcher stuff. I, it doesn't matter. <laughs> At I, least I like that the way much. you did that. I like the way you did that. So I guess <laughs> what I'd say is, it's don't replace equipment. But if you're buying new equipment, you know, try and get matter because I think that's what you're going to want to have in a few years or even sooner. Um, another home kit product that is making the news right now is the Acara Presence Sensor FP2. I can tell you, I've had like seven different listeners send me links to various reviews and links to this product. I wanted to talk to you about it, Rose. I actually looked at it. They're still not available on Amazon as we record this. Apparently, they sold out very quickly. Mm. Um, This is, it looks like a different device than the Acara Human Presence Sensor that I ordered from AliExpress, Um, but I'm not sure. Uh, What do you know about it? So... Akara has um, two um, FP products. They've got the FP1 and the FP2. Um, and I'm, I'm just double checking uh, to refresh my memory. I know that the FP1 is a Zigbee-based um, presence sensor and the FP2 is Wi-Fi-based. Yeah. Personally, I, uh, I dislike Wi-Fi connected devices simply sure. because why do I need more things on my network that can talk to their own you know, servers? Uh, that doesn't seem to make a huge amount of sense. This one is, it's a bit of a different form factor and it works more or less the same way um, in that it's supposed to be detecting things, but it's specifically, um, I think it's supposed to be a ceiling mounted one versus a wall mounted one. Um, And, um, but if you mount it on, well, you can mount it on either, but if you mount it on the ceiling, then it can do things like fall detection um, and so on. so yeah, it, it it can check like different zones and so on, but that that only works well if you've got like a really big open room that it can see all of, and you can define like different areas of that room very clearly. There's a a very precise linear boundary, um, and it makes sense to do so. So yeah, it it 
it's one of those things. I've heard very good things about it. I've heard a lot of people loving it. Um, I did initially have some difficulties with my FP1, which is the Zigbee-based one. Um, and then I went through um, a, a couple of forum threads. Uh, fortunately, the Home Assistant forum had some and some other places. And uh, it turned out, essentially, I was understanding how the sensors um, sense things a little bit. I, I hadn't quite understood um, like the the labels, the way that they've been translated from Chinese didn't quite tally up. Um, and it turns out now I have a perfectly working uh, human presence sensor, which is great. Um, but yeah, it, it, the FP2 should be able to do multi-person detection. It's got a built-in light sensor. It can do zone positioning, interference compensation. Um, on the Akara Hub, it kind of does local automations uh, to an extent with other Akara products. I wouldn't necessarily want it to do that. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's got some it's got some nice things in there. Um, the, the the availability is the most difficult part. I was able to pick up the FP1 on AliExpress pretty easily, uh, not hugely expensive at the time, and it just plugs into a USB uh, slot. I'm not quite sure exactly uh, what this uses for power, but just like the FP1, this is going to be a powered device. It's not running on battery. Yeah. So when you say the FP1, is that the same thing as the human presence sensor that I bought? That's what we have. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's interesting times. People seem to really like it. I, if I can get my hands on one, I'm going to get one and try it out just to talk about it on the show. Um, I'm with you. Generally, I find Wi-Fi devices a little slower and they make everything a little worse on my Wi-Fi network. So I don't like to have a lot of them, but I'm super curious to see how this works. My biggest gripe with the FP1 is a little bit, it's just a little slow, you know, and um, and it's it's not working quite as I thought. You know, it's like I thought if I w- had this in here, and we'll have to talk about my studio automation another day, but I've been working on it. But I would thought that it would always know I was in here. But when I have it on, sometimes the lights still just go off for no reason. You know, and I really have to combine it with an IR sensor in order to make it work the way I want. And I would mm-hmm. like that to be just a one sensor thing. I would like it to be one thing I can really rely on. And I don't think it's quite there yet. Mm. I have to say now I've got mine in my living room. I've slowly been able to um, remove um, the other triggers um, from my automations um, yeah. as sensors. Um, and so things just work. But um, in my flat, I also have the advantage of a good chunk of the time. It's just me. Um, so I, yeah. I don't need to worry too much about other people being involved. Like counting how many people are present would certainly be interesting. Um, but at the same time, it's not that crazy to do. Um, and I, I like for me, I, I basically just need a, a binary is, is somebody else here? Yes or no. Um, and yeah, most of the time the answer to that is going to be no. And I don't really need my automations to work differently for that. So well, either way, I feel like we're on the verge of something here with these human presence sensors. And if they do work reliably, it's going to make the automation story so much easier for people. Like you can just have one that says, when I'm in the room, turn the lights on. When I leave the room, turn the lights off. That kind of stuff reliably, that will be awesome. So I hope that in the next six to 12 months, this becomes a thing that everybody can access and it just works like solidly. And uh, my fingers are crossed for that. Yeah, it's 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 exciting to see what's coming down the line for home automation in all of the areas. And, you know, it's it's good. We're, we'll have to talk about your home automation in, in the studio uh, another time, David. Maybe maybe uh, maybe even next episode might have a little bit of time for that. I think we might be able to fit that in. All right. Well, we'll do that then. And uh, in the meantime, gang, we are the Automators Podcast. You can find us over at relay.fm slash automators. 
thank you to our sponsors today. That's our friends at Network to Code, Electric, and Text Expander. Uh, on Automator's Max today, we're going to be talking about smart screen displays and automation, which is going to be really fun. Uh, regardless, we will see you next time. Goodbye, folks.